You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. The word of the Lord. And it is given for our good. Uh, Join me in in a word of prayer. Father, as we come to this text, to this word which was given for us, we ask that you would speak to us, that your spirit would do the work of applying these words to our lives, that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see what you're doing. Father, that you'd form us more and more to be your people. After the image of Christ, we pray in his name. Amen. Well, humans are funny creatures. We're people who want what we want, even when, we, when what we want isn't always good for us. We, we want what we want, we're after what we're after, and we do everything that we can to get the things that we want, even when we know that they're not exactly what we need. Deep-fried chicken, pan-fried pizza, French fried potatoes. What does your body crave? You know, what are the things that that you want, that your body wants? What do you lust after? What are the things that you you find yourself wanting, desiring? Even these things that you know are not actually good for you, that you know will result in in your harm. And then, of course, there are those things that we want which are, are good for us, right? Those desires which are desires for good things, Desires for health, you know, healthy bodies, that's a, that's a good thing. For stability, um, for family, for, for acceptance, to be loved, uh, to be regarded, well regarded. But even these good things, even these good things that we're after, these good things that we want, we can go after even these good things in the wrong way. When we manipulate others, uh, perhaps even those who are closest to us, in order to get the things 
that we want out of them. Uh, you can think of emotional manipulation in, um, in a friendship or in a marriage, right, where we, instead of communicating the things that we want, instead of offering vulnerability, instead we offer the cold shoulder. Uh, we stonewall. We, we uh, offer something to them that isn't genuine and so manipulate them in order to get the attention that we want, uh, whatever it is that we're looking for from them. When we praise particular people, maybe this is uh, a, a boss or a coworker or a friend, not because they're particularly praiseworthy, but because you know, we want them to regard us in a certain way. There's something that we want out of that relationship and something that we want in terms of a favorable response from them. When we participate in gossip or tell crude jokes or twist the truth, all of these ways that we end up relating to other people because, well, what is it that we're really after? Acceptance, again, to be well regarded by others. Or maybe in some ways more, more personal to a number of us here, you know, for Christians, for churchgoers, for pastors who make sure that we talk to people, engage people in a way that's acceptable, in a way that marks us out as good Christians in the world. Right? Um, but oftentimes with mixed motivations right, in order to get the acceptance, the, the, the love, the affirmation that we crave. We want what we want. And we'll often do anything that we can to get these things, these things that our hearts are really after. We're, we're willing to use our friends, our spouses, our, our children in order to get the things that we're really after. We use our religion or, or irreligion in order to get things that we're after. We'll use our neighbors, our colleagues, in order to get the things that we really want. So that even when we're saying and doing all the right things, still we can be saying and doing these things with ulterior motives, mixed motivations, misplaced motivations, often rooted in the self. The motives of the heart, why we do what we do in all of our actions, what, what is it that we're really after in all of these actions that we find ourselves doing and the things that we find ourselves saying. And it's this question, this question of heart motivation that John raises in his gospel over and over again. Um, and it's raised again here in our passage. We can think actually a little bit later after this passage, a little later in John 12, where, where uh, John comments about the Pharisees, that they're after the praise that comes from man rather than the praise that comes from God. John is very interested, it seems, throughout his gospel to point out heart motivations. Now, it's not just about what we do, you know, our, our exterior actions, but it's about what our hearts are actually after. And John is pointing to the Pharisees. He's saying, look, Here's the Pharisees, religious leaders, people who are respected in their day, people who are doing all the right things. They're tithing their money. They're showing up to church. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're taking care of other people in the community. They're doing all the right things. But what are their motivations is what John is getting us to look at time and again throughout his gospel. What are their motivations? What are they after? Because what we're after, our heart, heart motivations actually matter. You know, why we do what we do matters in the eyes of God, in the kingdom of God. And here again in our passage, we find John noting again motivations for why we do what we do where we find here a large crowd it talks about a large crowd of people who are excitedly welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem right, they're waving their palm branches they're crying out Hosanna which, which is a word to, to mean save us it's a, something that has become an exclamation of praise for God's people Hosanna save us blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord even the king of Israel and at first glance 
when we hear these cries, this welcome of Jesus into the city, we think, wow, what a happy scene. This is wonderful. You know, people praising and embracing Jesus on this first Palm Sunday. But it turns out that this scene is more complicated than what we might think it is at first glance. It's more complicated even as are our hearts. Why is this crowd doing what they're doing? Why are they here at this moment in Jerusalem? And do they even understand what they're saying in calling out Hosanna? These are the questions to which John, it seems, goes out of his way to give us an answer. And what we find is that this crowd, which is, which is saying all the right things, is saying them for all kinds of different reasons. That this crowd, which is doing the right things, are doing them with mixed motivations. But what we'll find is that also we find that God's actions, God's actions towards his people in Jesus, that God's actions toward these same men and women, disciples and detractors, that, these action, that, that God's action towards them aren't actually dependent on their right motivations, that God's actions, that God determines to do good for these same people who have all kinds of different motivations in welcoming him, but his action towards them is to do good to them, quite regardless of what their motivations are, just as it is written, we're told. And what we'll find this morning is that, yes, on the one hand, we come to the Lord as those who want what we want. We're, we're, we're after all kinds of different things and our motivations for coming to the Lord in the first place. We're full of ulterior motives, but at the same time, we'll find that this God to whom we come is determined to do good for us. This God to whom we come, he offers himself completely for us, quite regardless of the motivations with which we come to him. We're after what we're after, but God, we find, is after what we need. So we'll begin with this first point, that we're after, we're after what we're after. We're after the things that we want. So we can begin with this question. What, what were the motives? What were the motivations of this crowd cheering for Jesus, welcoming him into Jerusalem with praise? Well, that depends on who in the crowd we ask. So let's start with the disciples. In, in the prior chapters, so, so some of this we're going to have to go to other chapters and engage what's happening around our particular text this morning. In the prior chapter, we find these disciples worried about this trip. Okay? The disciples, the ones who are close to Jesus, who are committed to following him, they're worried about it. Right? Thomas exclaims at a, at a certain point, Let, fine, let's go and, and die with him. Okay, there's kind of this, this sense that people are after Jesus. They, they, they want their leader dead. And they're worried about this trip. They're, they're aware that, that people are against Jesus. And obviously this is a concern that some, some of them, it seems, are hopeful that Jesus is going to prove himself to be the true political king. Right, Jesus is going to usher in a, a new kingdom. He's going to give them victory over the Romans. He's going to give them something that, they want, that they're really after as this oppressed people. Israel, God's people who are promised freedom from oppression. And this was the Messiah. He was going to get them what they want. Right? And in that way, prove that they too, these disciples, are on the winning side of things. Right? In some ways, they'll stand vindicated. If Jesus could just persist in living and in gaining this kingdom, not go to his death. Right? There's indications in the Gospels that the disciples are not interested in Jesus dying. They, they want him to live and to persist. Uh, they, they want to stand with the true king of Israel and stand vindicated. 
The disciples, it seems, they, they want things to go well for Jesus. And so to go well for them. And so they too join in this throng shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then there's the great bulk of this large crowd that we're told about. Not, not disciples per se, but others who have now heard of Jesus, who have taken an interest in him, especially after his latest miracle. He had just raised a man named Lazarus from the dead. And now John tells us that a number of these, these, uh, these watchers, this large crowd, is very much interested in seeing a sign from Jesus. They want to see Jesus do something again. They want to see this same Jesus who raised this man from the dead and see if maybe something else will happen. And, and that turns out to be a, a motivation for their being there in the first place. As John po- uh, puts it, the reason why the, the crowd went to meet him, he says in verse 18, was that they heard he had done this sign. Okay, they're interested in the signs that Jesus had done. They, they, they want a piece of this. They want to be able to see it. And then, of course, elsewhere in John's Gospel, we're also noted that, that the crowd are interested in what they can get out of Jesus, that he had done a miracle of, of, uh, with, with uh, bread and with fish, feeding a large crowd, and many of them continued to follow him because they wanted to be fed again. They wanted more bread, more fish. They wanted to be part of another miraculous sign. And it seems that these crowds that appear throughout the Gospel of John And in this case, with their palm branches, their happy greeting, they're not just there for Jesus, but to be part of something, to experience something great, to be able to say, I was there, I saw him, I saw a miracle. And then we see uh, the Pharisees, there's the Pharisees here, who, again, they don't feature much directly in, in our passage, but they play a significant role in the scenes before and after. And what's clear is that their concern is for their own reputation, as I've already said. As one of them puts it, just before our passage in chapter 11, if we let Jesus go on like this, referring to his healing of, of Lazarus, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. You see that the Pharisees have these ulterior motives, these motives to say, we're the ones who are leading our nation, we're the ones who have power, who God has granted power to us to lead and to, to be esteemed by the people. We're, if Jesus continues to go on like this, there's something that we're after that is going to be taken away from us. And you see their concern. See, Jesus often gets in the way of religious leaders. He gets in the way of what so many of us are after. Fame, respect, being seen as the protectors of God's people. They, these religious leaders, I'd say, extended to the present day, we, religious leaders, are threatened, easily threatened by the way of Jesus. Religious leaders, too, want what we want. And then, of course, there's, there's Judas, who features in the verses just before our passage. And John is concerned to uncover his motives, too. Judas as being greedy for money. For Judas, Jesus has become an opportunity for him to get the things that he really wants. So what about you this morning on this Palm Sunday? Where might you feature yourself in this crowd? Perhaps you stand in the place of the crowd itself, interested to see a sign for Jesus to prove himself to you in some way, to, to prove himself to be powerful to you, to be wowed by him. You want Jesus to prove to you, and maybe in some miraculous way, that he's worth following in the first place. You're waiting for a sign from the Lord so that you can then continue on and persist in the Christian life. You, you, you want to be wowed by him. You want to see something happen 
in order for you to then consider more seriously what it might mean to follow. Or maybe you stand in the place of the Pharisees. Maybe, maybe you're here and you stand opposed to Jesus. And maybe you wouldn't even put it that way. But at the end of the day, you know that Jesus' call on your life will demand things from you that you're not willing to give. And actually, if you're honest, you find that Jesus' way is a way that is opposed to your own way. In some ways, he stands in the way of you getting or going after the things that you really desire. You know, your desires, you find, don't really align with the ways of Jesus. And so you stand opposed to this Jesus. And maybe to, to dwell here a, a moment longer, um, for those, for those here who, say, wouldn't identify as Christian, maybe you're, you're investigating the Christian faith, there, there's, there's a point here, an important point, I think, to consider, that maybe your opposition to becoming a Christian isn't merely intellectual, but that it actually has to do with the desires of your heart, right? that there are things that you're after in this life that you find Jesus would stand opposed to, and you find that Jesus, therefore, must be opposed. We must oppose his way because he would challenge what I really want in my heart. I mean, this is, uh, this is the kind of consideration I think John uh, is inviting us to consider. And so you stand opposed to Jesus. Or maybe you stand in the place of the disciples. That you're a Christian. You follow Jesus. And yet... You don't always even understand what this means to call Hosanna, to join in this chorus. You, you join in happily. You say Hosanna, and, and, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But, but you say all of this out of a particular understanding of who this Jesus is supposed to be for you. Right? Uh, you, you say Hosanna, but you have a whole set of expectations that you bring to your Hosanna and to your praise. There, there, there are things that you're really after. And what you're really hoping deep down is that Jesus will serve your needs. He'll, he'll give you what you want if you simply give your life to follow him, right? That Jesus is supposed to be for you. But, but then when things don't go your way, right, all of a sudden, you start to wonder, is it really worth serving a God who isn't going to serve you and the things that you're really after? Is it really worth it? Is it really worth following Jesus? If following Jesus doesn't get me the things that I'm really after, whatever that is for you, uh, marriage, children, family, career, stability, whatever it is. These are difficult questions and not easily answered, even by this pastor. But if following Jesus doesn't get me some, something of what my heart desires, if following Jesus doesn't get me some basic respectability, if I can't use Jesus to get some of the things that I'm really after, well, what then? What then? When marriage is more challenging than I expected it to be. When my uncle, in my case, or my dad gets cancer and dies prematurely. We're, we're, we're faithfully following the Lord. Why, why, why isn't he just meeting our needs and answering our prayers in the way that we, we would expect? When the life of faith is not getting us what we want. When, when following Jesus invites ridicule. What then? See, if I'm honest, I want Jesus to be who I want him to be for me. I'll say Hosanna, but with that Hosanna comes a whole set of expectations. And what about for you? What about for you?
What are the things you're after? What are the things that your heart really desires? Whether you do it in rejection of Jesus or do it to get something out of Jesus, what are the things that you are really after? And what's amazing about this story is that in a sense, it doesn't really matter what the crowd is after or what you and I are after because either way, it turns out that Jesus, Jesus is still committed to riding in on, into J Jerusalem toward his own death and crucifixion just as it is written in fulfillment of the scriptures that, that regardless of this crowd's motivations, Jesus is committed to doing good for us, good for this crowd regardless of the crowd's intentions. That's something. Praise the Lord. And it's true for us today. That God moves forward. He moves toward his people in grace. Not because of the purity of any of our motivations. But always, always in spite of them. Always in spite of us. He moves toward us in grace. Not because we're, we're such godly and holy and purely motivated people. But, but simply because he's committed to us. And he loves us. And he's for us. So he moves towards us in grace. As John tells it, the crowd is shouting Hosanna. They're there for all different reasons, as we've seen. And in verse 14, he says, And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on the donkey's colt. And John goes on to explain, His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. It's an astonishing thing that Jesus moves forward with his mission into Jerusalem, which again we know will lead to his crucifixion, his offering up his own life for us, not because people recognized who he was. The disciples didn't even know really what was happening here. But in spite of the fact that his people failed to recognize what was happening and what he was doing and who Jesus really was. And what's equally astonishing is that he does the same for you and for me. We're all here for all kinds of different reasons. Some of us identify as Christians or not for all kinds of different reasons. We praise Jesus for all kinds of different reasons, with all kinds of ulterior motives. Some of us may just want to escape the loneliness of our lives. Okay? That could be some of you here today. That the Christian faith really offers you an opportunity to get away from, from the loneliness that you feel. And, and, and coming to church, you know, is, is a way to get away from that. Some of us really want Jesus to serve our interests, good interests, things that, that, that uh, are good. I mean, the, the escape of loneliness is a good thing. You know, that we're pursuing good things like healing and community, a spouse or children. Right? These are good, good desires. And maybe the Christian faith has provided something of an opportunity for us to go after the things that we really want. And some of us are less pure in our motivations, like Judas. You know, that we're here just to use Jesus. You know, that we live this Christian life in order to use Jesus or the church in order for, to get the things that we're really after. Right? For whatever we can get out of it. Connections or reputation or regard or, or whatever. And again... What's amazing is that regardless of all of the motivations that are represented here in this room, regardless of your motivations where you're sitting right now, Jesus still gets on this donkey, just as it is written. And even though we don't even understand it, 
even when our motivations aren't right, still he continues to march toward the cross to offer himself for us completely, his whole life, and invites us, invites us, with all of our mixed motivations, he invites us to come and to follow him and to be rescued and saved and cleansed by him, to be received by him into communion with God and with each other. This is his invitation, quite regardless of the motivations for which we come. And this, this is the good news of the gospel. That Jesus doesn't come for those whose hosanna is pure enough or especially well-informed. He doesn't just come for those who love Jesus purely, for Jesus' own sake, but he comes for the weak. He comes for the lost. He comes for people who are burdened and broken. He comes for the mis misguided and the poor and the needy. Even for those most prone to using him for the sake of what they can get out of him. He comes for you too and for me. And still he gives. And so, rightly, on this first Palm Sunday, did the people call out, and do we call out today, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Which is, of course, a reference to one of the popular songs of Israel, a song that was popular around the time of, of Passover, different, different feasts in the Jewish calendar. Psalm 118, which says, Save us, O Lord. Hoshia, which becomes translated and later used as Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And John goes on to explain that Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. And here the picture becomes clearer. See, the prophet Zechariah had spoken of these things 500 years before any of this happened. The prophet Zechariah had written this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey. And the passage from Zechariah continues, as for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free, says the Lord. Because of the blood of my covenant with you, Zechariah goes on to say, see, God had made a covenant with his people, Israel that all the judgment for all the sins of the world would be dealt with through blood sacrifice. But it turns out here that we find that it wouldn't just happen by sacrificing, well, the sinners. It wouldn't happen by sacrificing animals in place of the sinners, but it would happen by the spilling of the blood of Jesus Christ, God's own son, for us. And here we are today on this Palm Sunday some 2,000 years later. A large crowd, and in some ways, maybe not all that different from this large crowd gathered around Jesus 2,000 years ago. Even with our own mixed motivations, calling out Hosanna, save us, Lord. And some of us, some of us here really just want Jesus to give us the things that we want. But the good news is that for all of us, the impure and the broken, the religious and the irreligious, Jesus still offers himself, still welcomes us, welcomes you to turn to him and to find life and hope and salvation. He's good. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And even so, come Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Amen. 
Our Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, who 2,000 years ago, on this Palm Sunday, was determined to do good for us. And we confess, well, we confess that we often just want to go our own way. That we're not as faithful as we would like to be. And yet we confess that you're good, that you're committed to us, that you've loved us and your son and his life, death, and resurrection and ascension for us. And we ask that you would transform us by the power of this gospel, that this good news would seep into our hearts in a way that would transform us to be your people, committed to loving you, to following you, to living out of your grace poured out to us. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristChurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristChurchToronto.ca.